0: section 5 of the vertical city this librivox recording is in the public domain read by lisa reichert the vertical city by fanny hurst section 5 Back pay, part 2 there were frequent parties dancing at broadway cabarets all-night joy rides punctuated with roadhouse stopovers and not infrequently in groups of 3 or 4 couples 10-day pilgrimages to showy american spas Getting boiled out, they called it. It was part of Hester's scheme for keeping her sveltness. Her friendships were necessarily rather confined to a definite circle, within her own apartment house, in fact. On the floor above, also in large bright rooms of high rental, and so that they were exchanging visits frequently during the day, often en déshabillé, using the stairway that wound up round the elevator shaft, lived a certain Mrs. Kitty Drew, I believe she called herself. She was plump and blonde, and so very scented that her aroma lay on a hallway for an hour after she had scurried through it. She was well known and chiefly distinguished by a large court-plaster crescent, which she wore on her left shoulder-blade. She enjoyed the bounty of a Wall Street broker, who for one day had attained the conspicuousness of cornering the egg market. There were two or three others within this group, a Mrs. Denison, half French, and a younger girl called Babe. But Mrs. Drew and Hester were intimates. They dwaddled daily in one or the other's apartment, usually lazy and lacy with negligee, lounging about on the mounds of lingerie pillows, over chocolates, cigarettes, novels, Pomeranians, and always the headache powders, nerve sedatives, or smelling salts, a running line of, "'Lord, I've a head! I need a good cry for the blues!' Talk about a dark brown taste. Or, there was some kick to those cocktails last night, through their conversation. Kitty, <coughs> I'm as nervous as a cat today. Hester, naughty, naughty bad doggie to bite mother's diamond ring. Kitty, leave it to you to land a pear-shaped diamond on your hooks. Hester, he fell for it just like that. Kitty, you could milk a billiard ball. Hester, I don't see any quality of mercy to spare around your flat. There were the two years of high school, you see. Ed's going out to Geyser Springs next month for the cure. I told him he could not go without me unless over my dead body he could not. Geyser Springs? That's thirty miles from my hometown. Your hometown? Nighty-night! I thought you were born on the corner of 42nd Street and Broadway with a lobster claw on your mouth. Demopolis, Ohio. What is that, a skin disease? My last relation in the world died out there two years ago. An aunt. Wouldn't mind some geyser springs myself if I could get some of this stiffness out of my joints. Come on, I dare you. May Dennison and Chris will come in on it, and Babe can always find somebody. Make it three or four cars full and let's motor out. We all need a good boiling anyways.' Wheeler looks about ready for spontaneous combustion, and I got a twinge in my left little toe. You on? I am, if he is. If he is, he'd fall for life in an OAT village with a ring in his nose if you wanted it. And truly enough, it did come about that on a height of the season evening, a highly cosmopolitan party of four couples trooped into the solid marble foyer of the Geyser Springs Hotel motor-coated, goggled, veiled, a whole litter of pigskin in patent leather bags, hampers and hat-boxes, two golf-bags, two Pomeranians, a bull in spiked collar, furs, leather-coats, monogrammed rugs, thermos-bottles, air-pillows, robes, and an ensemble of fourteen wardrobe-trunks sent by express. They Took the Cure rode horseback, motored, played roulette at the casino for big steaks, and scorned the American plan of service for the smarter European idea, with a special a la carte menu for each meal. Extraordinary-looking mixed drinks, strictly against the mandates of the cure, appeared at their table. Strange midnight goings-on were reported by the more conservative hotel guests, and the privacy of their circle was allowed full integrity by the little veranda groups of gouty ladies or middle-aged husbands with liver spots on their faces the bath attendants revelled in the largest tips of the season when hester walked down the large dining-room evenings she was a signal for the craning of necks for the newest shock of her newest extreme toilette the kinds of toilettes that shocked the women into envy and mental notes of how the underarm was cut and the men into covert delight. Wheeler liked to sit back and put her through her paces like a high-strung filly. Make em sit up, girl. You got them all looking like dimes around here. One night she descended to the dining-room in a black evening gown so daringly lacking in back, and yet withal so slimly perfect an elegant thing, that an actual breathlessness hung over the hall, the clatter of dishes pausing. There was a gold bird of paradise dripped down her hair over one shoulder, trailing its smoothness like fingers of lace. She defied with it as she walked. "'Take it from me,' said Kitty, who felt fat in lavender that night. "'She's going at one too strong.' Another evening she descended, always last, in a cloth of silver with a tiny, an absurd, an impeccably tight silver turban dipped down over one eye and absolutely devoid of jewels except the pear-shaped diamond on her left forefinger they were a noisy a spending a cosmopolitan crowd of two well-fed men and two well-groomed women ignored by the veranda groups of wives and mothers openly dazzling and arousing a tremendous curiosity in the younger set and quite obviously sought after by their own kind But Hester's world, too, is all run through with sharply defined social schisms. "'I wish that Irwin woman wouldn't always hang round our crowd,' she said one morning, as she and Kitty lay side by side in the cooling room, after their baths, massages, manicures, and shampoos. "'I don't want to be seen running with her.' "'Did you see the square emerald she wore last night?' "'Fake! I know the clerk at the synthetic jewelry company had it made up for her.' She's cheap, I tell you. Promiscuous. Who ever heard of anybody standing back of her? She knocks around. She sells her old clothes to Tessie, my manicurist. I've got a line on her. She's cheap. Kitty, who lay with her face under a white mud of cold cream, and her little mouth merely a hole, turned on her elbow. We can't all be top-notchers, Hester, she said. You're hard as nails. I guess I am but you've got to be to play this game. The ones who aren't end up by stuffing the keyhole and turning on the gas. You've got to play it hard or not at all. If you've got the name, you might as well have the game. If I had it all to do over again, well, there would be one more wife and mother role being played in this little old world, even if I had to play it on a South Dakota farm. Whatever's worth doing is worth doing well. I used to write in a copy book, Well, that's the way I feel about this. To me, anything is worth doing to escape the cotton stockings and lyle next to your skin. I admit I never sit down and think. You know, sit down and take stock of myself. What's the use thinking? Live! Yes, mused Hester, her arms in a wreath over her head. I think I'd do it all over again. There's not been so many at that. Three, the first was a salesman. "'He'd have married me, but I couldn't see it on six thousand a year. "'Nice fellow, too, an easy spender in a small way, "'but I couldn't see a future to ladies' neckwear. "'I hear he made good later in munitions. "'Al was a pretty good sort, too, but tight. "'How I hate tightness! "'I've been pretty lucky in the long run, I guess.' "'Did I say hard as nails?' said Kitty, "'grotesquely fitting a cigarette in the aperture of her mouth. "'I apologize why alongside of you a piece of flint is morning cereal haven't you ever had a love affair i've been married twice that's how chicken-hearted i can be haven't you ever pumped a little faster just because a certain someone walked into the room once once what i liked a fellow pretty much a blonde say he was blonde i always think to myself kit next to gerald you've got the bluest eyes under heaven only "'Only his didn't have any dregs. "'Thanks, dearie. "'I sometimes wonder about Gerald. "'I ought to drive over while we're out here. "'Poor old Gerald Fishback. "'Sweet name, Fishback. "'No wonder you went wrong, dearie. "'Oh, I'm not getting soft. "'I saw my bed and made it, nice and soft and comfy, "'and I'm lying on it without a whimper. "'You just bet your life you made it up nice and comfy. "'You've the right idea.' I have to hand that to you. You command respect from them. Lord, Ed would as soon fire a teacup at me as not. But with me it pays. The last one he broke he made up to me with my opal and diamond beetle. Wouldn't wear an opal if it was set next to the hope diamond. Superstitious, dearie? Unlucky. Never knew it to fail. Not a superstition in my bones. I don't believe in walking under ladders or opening an umbrella in the house or sitting down with thirteen, but lordy, never saw the like with you. Thought you'd have the hysterics over that little old vanity mirror you broke that day out at the races. Brrr, I hated it. Lay easy, dearie. Nothing can touch you the way he's raking in the war contracts. Great, isn't it? Play for a country home, dearie. I always say real estate and jewelry are something in the hand. Look ahead in this game, I always say. You just bet I've looked ahead. "'So have I, but not enough. "'Somehow I never feel afraid. "'I could get a job tomorrow if I had to. "'Say, dearie, if it comes to that, "'with twenty pounds off me there's not a chorus I couldn't land back in. "'I worked once, you know, in Lichtig's import shop. Fifth Avenue? "'Yes, it was in between the salesman and Al. "'I sold two thousand five hundred dollars worth of gowns the first week.' sure enough girl old man lichtig said to me the day i quit girl he said if you ever need this job again come back it's waiting fine chance i've got the last twenty five dollars i earned pinned away this minute in the pocket of the little dark blue suit i wore to work i paid for that suit with my first month's savings a little dark blue norfolk lichtig let me have out of stock for twenty seven fifty were they giving them away with a pound of tea? Honest, Kitty, it was neat. Little white shirt waist, tan shoes, and one of those slick little five-dollar sailors, and every cent paid out of my salary. I could step into that outfit tomorrow, look the part, and land back that job, or any other. I had a way with the trade, even back at Finley's. Here, hold my jewelry bag, honey. I'm going to die of cold cream suffocation if she don't soon come back and unsmear me opal beetle in it? Yes, dearie, but it won't bite. It's muzzled with my diamond horseshoe. Nothing doing, Kit. Put it under your pillow. You better watch out. There's a thirteenth letter in the alphabet. You might accidentally use it some day. You're going to have a sweet time tonight, you are. Why? The boys have engaged De Butera to come up to the rooms. You mean the fortune teller over at the Stag Hotel? She's not a fortune teller, you poor nervous wreck. She's the highest-priced spiritualist in the world. Moving tables, spooks, woof! Fah! said Hester, rising from her couch, and feeling with her little bare feet for the daintiest of pink silk mules. I could make tables move, too, at forty dollars an hour. Where's my attendant? I want an alcohol rub. They did hold séance that night in a fine spirit of lark, huddled together in the deluxe sitting-room of one of their suites and little half-hysterical shrieks and much promiscuous ribaldry under cover of darkness madame de butera was of a distinctly fat and earthy blondness with a coarse lace waist over pink and short hands covered with turquoise rings of many shapes and blues tables moved a dead sister of wheelers spoke in thin high voice why is it the dead are always so vocally thin and high a chair tilted itself on hind legs eliciting squeals from the women babe spoke with a gentleman friend long since passed on and kitty with a deceased husband and began to cry quite sobbily and took little sips of highball quite gulpily may denison who was openly defiant allowed herself to be hypnotized and lay rigid between two chairs and Kitty went off into rampant hysteria until Wheeler finally placed a hundred-dollar bill over the closed eyes, and whether under it or to the léger of Madame's manipulating hands, the tight eyes opened. May, amid riots of laughter, claiming for herself the hundred-dollar bill, and Kitty, quite resuscitated, jumping up for a table can-can, her yellow hair tumbling, and her china-blue eyes with dregs in them inclined to water all but hester she sat off by herself in a peacock-coloured gown that wrapped her body suavity as if the fabric were soaking wet a band of smoky blue about her forehead never intoxicated a slight amount of alcohol had a tendency to make her morose what's the matter clio asked wheeler sitting down beside her and lifting her cool fingers one by one and by reason of some remote analogy that must have stirred within him seeing in her a Nile queen. "'What's the matter, Cleo? Does the spook stuff get your goat?' She turned on him eyes that were all troubled up, like waters suddenly wind-blown. "'God!' she said, her fingers, nails inward, closing upon his arm. "'Wheeler, can—can the dead speak?' But fleeting as the hours themselves were the moods of them all, and the following morning there they were, the eight of them, light with laughter, and caparisoned again as to hampers, veils, coats, dogs, off for a day's motoring through the springtime countryside. "'Where to?' shouted Wheeler, twisting from where he and Hester sat, in the first of the cars, to call to the two motor-loads behind. "'I thought Crystal Cave was the spot,' from May Dennison in the last of the cars, winding her head in a scarlet veil. "'Crystal Cave it is, then.' "'Is that through Demopolis?' followed a scanning of maps sure here it is see granite city mitchell demopolis crystal cave good lord hester you're not going to spend any time in that dump it's my home town she replied coldly the only relation i had is buried there it's nothing out of your way to drop me on the courthouse steps and pick me up as you drive back i've been wanting to get there ever since we're down here "'Wanting to stop by your hometown you haven't seen in five years isn't unreasonable, is it?' He admitted it wasn't, leaning in to kiss her. She turned to him a face soft with one of the pouts he usually found irresistible. "'Honey,' she said, "'what do you think?' "'What?' "'Chris is buying May that chinchilla coat I showed you in Meyerbloom's window the day before we left.' "'The deuce he is!' he said, letting go of her hand, but hers immediately covering his.' she's wiring her sister in the girly review to go in and buy it for her outrage fifteen thousand dollars to cover a woman's back look at the beautiful scenery honey you're always prating about views look at those hills over there great isn't it i wouldn't expect it wheeler if it wasn't war year and you landing one big contract after another i'd hate to see may show herself in that chinchilla coat when we could beat her to it by a wire "'I could telegraph Meyerbloom myself. "'I bought the sable rug of him. "'I'd hate it, Wheeler, to see her and Chris beat us to it. "'So would you. "'What's fifteen thousand when one of your contracts alone "'runs into the hundred thousands? "'Honey?' "'Wire,' he said sourly, "'but not withdrawing his hand from hers.' They left her at the shady courthouse steps in Demopolis, but with pleasantry and gibe. "'Give my love to the town pump.' Rush the old oaken growler for me. So long, she called, eager to be rid of them. Pick me up at six sharp. She walked slowly up High Street. Passers by turned to stare, but otherwise she was unrecognized. There was a new five and ten cent store, and Finley Brothers had added an L. High Street was paved. She made a foray down into the little side street where she had spent those queerly remote first seventeen years of her life. How dim her aunt seemed. The little unpainted frame house was gone. There was a lumber yard on the site. Everything seemed to have shrunk. The street was narrower and dirtier than she recalled it. She made one stop at the house of Maggie Sims, a high school chum. It was a frame house, too, and she remembered that the front door opened directly into the parlor, and the side entrance was popularly used instead. But a strange sister-in-law opened the side door. "'Maggie was married and living in Cincinnati. "'Oh, fine! A master mechanic! And there were twins!' She started back toward Finley's, thinking of Gerald, and halfway she changed her mind. "'Maggie Sims, married and living in Cincinnati. "'Twins! Hey-ho! What a world!' The visit was hardly a success. At half after five she was on her way back to the courthouse steps, stupid to have made it six and then of course and quite as you would have it gerald fishback came along she recognized his blondness long before he saw her he was bigger and more tanned and as of old carried his hat in his hand she noticed that there were no creases down the front of his trousers but the tweed was good and he gave off that intangible aroma of well-being She was surprised at the old thrill racing over her. Seeing him was like a stab of quick steel through the very pit of her being. She reached out, touching him, before he saw her. "'Gerald,' she said, soft and teasingly. It was actually as if he had been waiting for that touch, because before he could possibly have perceived her, her name was on his lips. "'Hester,' he said, the blueness of his eyes flashing between blinks. "'Not Hester!' "'Yes, Hester,' she said, smiling up at him. He grasped both her hands, stammering for words that wanted to come quicker than he could articulate. "'Hester,' he kept repeating. "'Hester!' "'To think you knew me, Gerald!' "'Know you! I'd know you blindfolded. And how I—' "'You're beautiful, Hester. I think you've grown five years younger.' "'You've got on, Gerald. You look it!' "'Yes, I'm general manager now at Finley's.' "'I'm so glad. Married?' "'Not while there's a Hester Bevins on earth.' "'She started at her own name.' "'How do you know I'm not married?' "'I—I know,' he said, reddening up. "'Isn't there some place we can talk, Gerald? "'I've thirty minutes before my friends call for me.' Thirty minutes?' "'Your rooms? Haven't you rooms, or a room where we could go and sit down?' "'Why, why, no, Hester,' he said, still red. "'I'd rather you didn't go there. "'But here, let's stop in at the St. James Hotel. "'There's a parlor." "'To her surprise, she felt herself colour up "'and was pleasantly conscious of her fingertips. "'You darling,' she smiled up at him. "'They were seated presently in the unaired plush and cherry "'Nottingham and Axminster parlour of a small-town hotel. "'Hester,' he said, "'you're like a vision come to earth.' "'I'm a bad girl," she said, challenging his eyes for what he knew. "'You're a little saint, walked down and leaving an empty pedestal in my dreams.' She placed her forefinger over his mouth. "Sh," she said. "'I'm not a saint, Gerald, you know that.' "'Yes,' he said, with a great deal of boyishness in his defiance. "'I do know it, Hester, but it is those who have been through the fire who can sometimes come out new. "'It was your early environment.' My aunt died on the town, Gerald, I heard. I could have saved her all that if I had only known. She was cheap, aunt was, poor soul. She never looked ahead. It was your early environment, Hester. I've explained that often enough to them here. I'd bank on you, Hester, swear by you. She patted him. I'm a pretty bad egg, Gerald. According to the standards of a town like this, I'm rotten. And they're about right. For five years, Gerald, I've... THE REAL YOU IS AHEAD OF, AND NOT BEHIND YOU, HESTER. HOW WONDERFUL, SHE SAID, FOR YOU TO FEEL THAT WAY, BUT... HESTER, HE SAID, MORE AND MORE THE BIG BOY, AND HIS BIG BLONDE HEAD NEARING HERS. I DON'T CARE ABOUT ANYTHING THAT'S PAST. I ONLY KNOW THAT, FOR ME, YOU ARE THE... GERALD, SHE SAID, FOR GOD'S SAKE. I'M A a TWO-HUNDRED-A-MONTH MAN NOW, HESTER. I WANT TO BUILD YOU THE PRETTIEST, THE WHITEST LITTLE HOUSE IN THIS TOWN. "'Out in the Briarwood section. "'I'll make them tow to you, Hester. "'I—' "'Why,' she said slowly, and looking at him with a certain sadness, "'you couldn't keep me in stockings, Gerald. "'The aigrettes on this hat cost more than one month of your salary.' "'Good God!' he said. "'You're a dear sweet boy just the same, "'but you remember what I told you about my crepe de chine soul.' "'Just the same!' i love you the best in those crispy white shirt-waists you used to wear and the little blue suits and sailor hats you remember that day at finley's picnic hester that day dear that you 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 dear boy but it your mistake it it's all over you work now don't you hester somehow looking into the blueness of his eyes and their entreaty for her affirmative she did what you or i might have done she half lied "'regretting it while the words still smoked on her lips. "'Why, yes, Gerald, I've held a fine position "'in Lichtig Brothers, New York, importers. "'Those places sometimes pay as high as seventy-five a week. "'But I don't make any bones, Gerald. "'I've not been an angel.' The "'The salesman, Hester?' "'His lips quivering with a nausea for the question. "'I haven't seen him in four years,' she answered truthfully. "'He laid his cheek on her hand.' i knew you'd come through it was your environment i'll marry you to-morrow to-day hester i love you you darling boy she said her lips back tight against her teeth you darling darling boy please hester we'll forget what has been let me go she said rising and pinning on her hat let me go or or i'll cry and and i don't want to cry hester he called "'rushing after her and wanting to fold her back into his arms. "'Let me prove my trust, my love. "'Don't! Let me go! Let me go!' "'At slightly after six, the ultra-cavalcade drew up at the courthouse steps. "'She was greeted with the pleasantries and the gibes. "'Have a good time, sweetness?' asked Wheeler, arranging her rugs. "'Yes,' she said, lying back and letting her lids droop. "'But tired.' very, very tired. At the hotel, she stopped a moment to write a telegram, before going up for the vapour bath, nap, and massage that were to precede dinner. Meyer, Bloom and Company, Furriers, Fifth Avenue, New York, it was addressed. End of Backpay Part 2